Hello and welcome to another episode of Booth Interviews. Today I have online Jim Walker. He's the founder of My Kayak Coach. He's the head of the Shore Race team. He's an Olympian. He's a removalist and he's got so many things to tell us about his paddling career and what we can expect um, going forward. So Jim, nice to have you on. Thanks, Boothie. Good to be here, buddy. Highlight of my career today is virtual chatting with Michael Berth. Yeah, how good is it? How good is that being able to chat to anybody on this thing? It's fantastic. So good. So good. And being educated on all things technical by Boothie with backgrounds and virtuals. Yeah. Love it. Yes, it was, it was very good to get this started, but we're on. So um, I guess but to start, it'd be really good to get a bit of your background, um, where you grew up, um, what sports you did, and then we can sort of move forward from there. So what, what sports did you do when you were growing up and where were you from? So I'm from Sydney and yep. um, I live not far from Bondi Beach, uh, probably a little bit more well-known Bondi. That I grew up in a place called Bronte, which um, actually, believe it or not, it's a beach. It's about maybe 150, 200 metres long, but it's uh, produced three or four world champion surfers and some big wave surfers and, uh, and myself who could only just stand up. So I started as a surfer, very, very ordinary at that, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, so I was a surfer as a kid, just every minute of the day I was in the water surfing and I uh, played a little bit of rugby league. My dad was played for, uh, for New South Wales and for the Roosters, yep. who, I, who were the world champions of rugby league. Uh, yeah. I that in the get I'll hold that for a while, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. So you reckon I couldn't surf. I was equally wor- equal or worse as a football player. So, yep. um, mate, what, was it, what position did you play? I played hooker, played hooker, and yep. uh, got a few meat got a few meat pies under the sticks, but uh, it just it just wasn't my sport. So I um, yep. ended up joining the surf club, and uh, I'm getting over to North Bondi. And, and how old were you when you joined the surf club? I was like 13, 14, yep. and um, I met up with a couple of mates who are still mates to this day, who are much older than me. Um, you know, at that stage they're like 19, so you know, four or five six years older and all they did was go training i didn't really know much about it and yeah. uh, they were training so i just tagged along and uh look it did a bit of board paddling because that's that's all you could do at that age 13 to 15 so i did some board paddling went okay to it and then just didn't like it to the truth kneeling sore neck the whole lot yeah no I, I wasn't for me either i ended up having getting osgood slatters in my knees getting a sore neck just like and then i got stress fractures it was just it's, it's a very unnatural position to be in isn't it no it's terrible it's terrible <laughs> i'm back then. i'm older than you do you think they didn't yep. have pads on your knees yeah no, not it was for just me. straight fiberglass so there's no matter how you looked at it and how you tried to twist it there was no good sell on this so i got into a bit of paddling uh yep. did it on my own liked it and um then i raced a, a bloke Goes okay in his day. Um, you may or may not have heard of him, Clint Robinson. Um, it's called, yeah, I think he rings a bell, yeah. He goes okay, right? So, yeah. um, so that was your era? That was my era. My whole yeah. life was racing Clint. Every race, yeah. every Aussie's. Oh, so you, got, you guys are the same age? Same age, yeah. yeah. So we raced, we've raced each other since day dot. Yeah. Uh, he ended up winning the gold, as we know, in Barcelona. And yeah. um, I, I ended up getting second to him in the surf ski. And yeah. I thought, this, so this is 92? No, this is 90. So, and then he went on to it. So in 1990 in the Oh, ski, so 1990, yeah. So I was just a ski paddler. And then he went on in two years' time to win Olympic gold. And I was just still ski paddling. Yeah. And I thought, oh, he can win a gold medal. And like, I can get near him on the ski. Can't be that hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, sort of ego got in the way, if you want to call it that, or ambition. Yeah. And I just, I just turned myself into a real trainer. Yeah. And, yep. uh, 
Fortune had it in 96. Like I went to a few world championships prior to that. Uh, won a few world cups. Yeah. Uh, individually, so, wasn't much. So this is, so you're talking about kayaking when you're talking about okay. going to world cups? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. surf ski was just Aussie champs and whatnot. Then I went yeah. into the kayaking on the back of seeing that all these legendary Australian kayakers were surf ski paddlers. So I thought, yeah. I'm going to give this, give it a go. Yeah. And, um, you know, I went to a few world If you go to the Olympics, it's one of those funny things, right? You just say you want to go. Like, it's like, yeah. oh, what, what are you doing this for? I want to go to the Olympics. Like, I had yeah. no clue on actually even what it was or how to get there. Yeah, so you, like so you went to the Olympics in 96? 96 in Atlanta. Yeah, 96. So, well, let me, like, man, let's, let's just backtrack a little bit. So what... So basically, you uh, were paddling um, surf skis in the 90s. Um, yeah. You went all the way through. You got second at Aussies in the 90s, uh, 1990 ski race. Yeah, and then yeah. the 18s with Clint. And in the 18s, yeah. That, then after that, it sort of fueled my passion to, yeah. to, want to, to want to pursue paddling as paddling. Yeah. And did you try out for the Olympics in 92 as well? I went or, to the Olympic trials. No, I went yeah. to the Olympic trials and uh, had no clue about what to do or how to do it. And uh, yeah. I was uh, 19. I made an under 23 team. So yeah. they had a, a. And as what was good fortune of that is actually we went to all the Olympic pre events. So it wasn't, we didn't go to an under 23 race. Yeah. We went to a pre Olympic races that our Australian team didn't go to. So we yeah. got to go to, like, in Germany, there's a place called Duisburg, which is like the world. Yeah. Epicenter of paddling, and um, I don't know. I thought Zolnok was no. Duisburg was then. Yeah, he's the you know thirty thousand seat grandstand there. Yeah, and get to see it all firsthand, and I, and I didn't think it was seeing like the Germans and the Hungarian Olympics in my era. They were the the golden people. You could see it. They yeah. for some reason didn't seemed too far away like they were you know i was nowhere near in the class of them yeah but it looked like maybe this is something that's achievable and um yeah i came home from that trip and i actually believe it or not on that trip i could have given it away because on one of the (laughs) on one of the uh time trial days we had there um, i was a religious trainer in my day never missed a day never late never what's the name yeah the coach told me to turn up, turn up a bit later, and I thought that was a bit unusual. But they went and did a time trial in a K4, which I was paddling, and they threw a spare tyre in, and they did the time trial to see if they'd go faster with three people than four with me. So, um, mate, so yeah. I was over in group, shattered, just thought, Jesus, this isn't much good. So I, I got my back up and thought, you know what, I'm not going to quit on this, and uh, yeah. and got it. No, you did well because I, I know I know I had troubles with the the kayaking because I came in pretty late. I think I was twenty three and I wasn't really that that good at the team boat stuff. And I probably I didn't have that good a technique. I had issues with like imbalances, so I'd I'd lean boats and all that sort of stuff. But the only the only way you get better at that sort of stuff is actually practicing it. And I think that's something that you're you've done really well there, like by sticking at it and trying to get better and better at something that um, may or may have also cost you to quit. Oh yeah, like I was on the border of being like you know. And don't get me wrong, there was everyone there. They were laughing and, you know, just sort of taking the piss, as you could call it. And I just had to cop it on the chin. I mean, later in life, I had quite a bit of a laugh back at it. But, yeah, uh, yeah when I came back, I just sort of like, how can I be better at this? And, yeah. Uh, and nothing down. So, so yeah. what year was, what was the year? Was the, was I the was year 92. 92. So I was 92. 
Oh, so, so when I they went to the Olympics, you went to the under twenty threes in Duisburg. Uh, in we, so we went to so so they, there's a European season over, overseas yep. for kayaking, and the Australian Olympic team went and trained um, somewhere else. I don't know where they were training. Yeah. And so out of the say six races that are put on throughout the season, we went to the one three that they didn't go to. So okay. with, uh, we're lucky enough. We got they, the Olympic team come home because they were going to Barcelona. Yeah. Um, have a well, for whatever reason, we got to go to Duisburg and, and, yeah. uh, and race so, that big race. So that, was it still like the three sort of World Cups and the World Championships sort of set yeah. up back in those yeah, days? Yeah. That, but yeah, yeah, same yeah. sort of thing. You know, do three big ones in a World Championship. And, uh, yeah. and we paddled wooden canoes, mate. Wooden yeah. canoes. Well, the van, was it, was it the, were you paddling Van Dusen's at that stage or was that? In 96 at the Olympics, we paddled a Van Dusen, which is just like, it was the change. We went from the wooden in 95 and Kevlar in sort of half Kevlar, half wooden in 95. Like a 95 World Championships, I paddled a wooden boat. And yep. then in 96 at the Olympics, we paddled the, the space age carbon. Yeah, how cool. Houston, it's like, how can we not go fast? Yeah, people are like insulted these days if you say anything but carbon. It's quite funny. Oh, that's um, so, yeah, so, so you, yeah, so how, when you come back from Duisburg, um, you've had that sort of experience where they're paddling with a spare tyre in the, the K4 and you, you're like, oh, well, I can either knuckle down and get better at this or I can quit. So you're obviously taking the approach where I'm going to train. Did you train for that next four years to try and make the Olympic team or was it a gradual thing? So I, I just didn't have a clue on how to train for four years, right? So I was a young yeah. kid who wasn't much good as, as a kid, I went okay. Yeah. Um, but then, so you're about 21 I, here? Yeah, so I'm 20, I'm 20 going on 21. I was at the Olympics, yep. I was nearly 24. Um, yeah. So I just thought, I'm going to try for this Olympics, but it's too far away. Like, it's, yep. I, I don't have a clue how to train for four years. I've, I've never done anything like this. So I'm just going to do one year at a time. And I tried to make the open team. And then yep. I tried to make just continually make and go to a world championships and then hopefully it just falls in its place. Um, so not being a bit like as good as the others in singles, I tried my hand at paddling with different people in yep. different pairs, different fours. And I think I had a bit of luck there in terms of, I could go good with a lot of different people. And, yep. you know, we had some success over those three or four years, winning some world cups, um, having some shockers, having some downs and then, yep. But just that you know, a little bit resilient and bounce back and end up so, having the K through luck. Yeah, so through those years, so from ninety two to ninety six, um, were you just racing under twenty threes or were you racing opens in all no, of those? Years? No, no, always just open. Twenty threes is was just something they took a twenty three a team. Like now there's a world championships for under twenty three. There was yeah. no world championships back then for twenty three. Okay. And no 18s, obviously, either. Is there an, eight, is an 18 or a junior? No, they had an 18 World Championships. Okay. Yeah, they had 18. Was new. Yeah, it was new. It was just Australia took a team of under-23s overseas yeah. to see if they get some experience, I guess, for the next World Championships. And so you say that you were paddling in that time, you are sort of learning the K4 and learning these K2s. Like, who were your coaches back then and who were you paddling with? So most of my training was done actually on my own um, out at the Mighty Cooks River. Um, okay. Yeah. Is, is that where you still train? Yeah. 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 But there's probably not at the moment, moment. But yeah. No. No. I'm just uh, believe it or not, as you say, that we've called Jim Squad off for the first time in 418 weeks um, wow. due to this nasty virus. But yeah, I've been going to the Cooks River since 1989. Um, yeah. 
but but in the time though, I had some tremendous help. I went to the AIS for a year um, yep. and got some great help there. Learned lots, and then and where I had was the some AIS? Time. Where was the AIS? That at was, that on, stage? was in Queensland then, so they'd taken it out of Canberra uh, yep. and they put it up on the Gold Coast. Magic spot to train. Yeah, very so busy park there. Yeah, Pizzy Park down there yeah. on the Gold Coast. Yeah. And then I had some luck with a guy called Benny Hutchins who um, gave me some great advice and coaching. He, he was, in 84, the New Zealanders won nearly every event at the Olympics in kayaking. And okay. Benny was, was one of the coaches there, the coach there, and he ended up moving to, um, to Sydney to do some coaching. And, uh, and I was able to get under his wing and learn a bit from him. He was a really good communicator and technician. Yeah. So between... Him out, him, him over at Narrabeen, which was an hour, and, an hour and twenty drive from where I live, which I'd yep. go in summer, to doing it on my own for just trying to find tweak what was best for me. So was N Swiss down there at Narrabeen at that stage as well. So that's so it was the academy. No, that was the academy of sport when I first started, and then yeah. uh, then it turned into the institute. You know, New South Wales Institute of Sport, and yeah, yeah. Because so, when yeah. I was okay, so that's interesting because like. Obviously, I've, I never trained at um, the Narrabeen Centre where like Murray and, and those guys were paddling. But I remember pat training at Pizzy Park. But it was, I think it was the QAS by the time I got in there for the three years. I think I was there. So when you were, so when you were paddling, um, who, were your, who, were your, who were your competitors? Obviously, you had Clint Robinson. But who were the other guys who were sort of in that four-year cycle that were all sort of vying for that next Olympic selection? So in that time, we had, uh, so we had Clint, we had Danny Collins, Andrew Trim, um, Paul Lynch, Brian yeah. Morton, um, Danny, I said Danny, um, Martin Hunter, who was a, like just an unbelievable speed demon. Was uh, David Rhodes I, doing it at that stage as well? David Rhodes hadn't really started that stage. Grant Lurie, um, yeah. Shane Suska, Jamie Beavis. Shane Suska uh, was my next door neighbour for a long time. There's he a was. Trivia for you. <laughs> Yeah, well, there you go. So, look, we had a we had a really really tight, like competitive group back then. Who was yeah. Other than your sort of Clint's and Danny's, they were probably a little bit in front. It was yeah. You know, it was whether you're in the right spot at the right time, and you know, as much as I valued that I deserved to be there, I could have quite easily have not. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you're talking Ram Anderson's just come off winning a bronze medal at the last Olympics. He's at this one. Clint's won a gold medal. Yeah, um, you know, Lats is still hanging around. So a lot of the guys who had won medals at, in Barcelona were still there as well. So, so who were the guys who won medals at Barcelona? Raman, you said got third. Clint won. So what, what events were these? So yep. the K four got uh, third, and Clint got gold. So yep. uh, you know they, they were coming back in Australia. Was uh, from so eighty eight was where Grant Davies just missed the dual gold medal, which still to this day I believe he should have got it. But Greg Barton got the nod there and backed up in the K two thousand. Yeah, so I have watched that race. Was, oh, so close! So yeah, close. amazing. But, uh, we were on the way up then. We were starting to get medals. Then we got a couple of medals in ninety two, and then the squad. So it was Australia was starting to knock on the door of saying, "Here we are, a nation who are not just surf ski paddlers." Yeah, we're actually can be kayakers, so it was competitive yeah. and strong and tough. Well, I think a lot of the guys coming through now, and especially like for me, when I was sort of trying my hand at the kayaking stuff, it was we did sort of look to that Clint sort of era, that Grant Davies, um, David Rhodes, yourself, like all these guys who sort of established Australia as a quite a strong powerhouse in the kayaking. Um, how was that sort of environment when you were there? Was it like a positive environment to be in? Was it like 
Um, did everyone get along or was it like very segregated? Like she's saying you're doing your own stuff down at Narrabeen. Like, was there a big squad? Like how did, how did the dynamics work back then? Mate, it was tough. It was really, really tough. It was, it was, it was an era that suited me. Okay. Yep. So it was prior social media. Like as people know me, I love social media and I like yep. what's going Give on. Give me live. I'll be live. I would have been live paddling down the course. Doing it. I probably <laughs> Lost, I would have lost focus. This was an area where they told you that you had to train every minute of every day, and yeah. if you and if you showed weakness, it was exposed by other athletes, by other coaches. Uh, it was shown you weren't dedicated. So, I think they did me a favour. Those people, yeah. they made me knuckle down. They made me work hard. They made me think kayaking only. Train, train, train. How can I be yeah. better? Train, train, train. How can I be better? Train, train, train. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. like. If you look back now and say, did you need to do that workload and that thinking? You probably didn't. So, but yeah. the era. More is more. Was that era? More, more is more. more, mate. More is yeah. more. So, I was doing anywhere between, you know, minimum three sessions a day. So, like in the last two years, I was training 18 sessions a week. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. Just, and that was just that, that would have been paddle in the morning, gym straight after, maybe like a cycling session before, and then you know, another paddling session in the afternoon. So yeah, it could be a swim into a paddle yeah, and then a jump into a paddle. It is interesting how a lot of the paddlers from your era, so I spoke to Oscar Chalopsky the other day as well, and he was saying how they did um, a lot of swimming and running and that sort of stuff in the mornings, and then he'd actually just paddle downwind in the afternoons, whereas you're saying the same thing. Like, there isn't many, a lot, probably a lot of paddlers now swimming. Yeah, like, oh, look, I still to this day, I think swimming's the, the best fitness in the world. Yeah. Um, gym, squad, gym squad does one day a week of swimming. Does it yeah. very ordinary, but yeah. we swim. And we don't swim to be swimmers. We swim for fitness. And I think that that lung capacity, that breathing, we love it. And we get to be competitive. And, you know, like if you train in a group, it's sometimes like being an individualist in an individual sport who now involves themselves in a group. Yeah. It's great when you can do something that's not related to your sport, but it is. But someone who doesn't paddle as fast all of a sudden swims fast. So we yeah. can help the time to the group go, right, oh, okay, you can paddle faster, I can swim faster, so-and-so can run faster. So it brings the group back together and that's, that's what I like, seeing the group come back together. But nothing yeah. about swimming. Yeah, I, I've actually jumped back in the pool recently. I did the Rottnest Channel swim and I did that INX thing that you're at as well. And um, I, just, I just hadn't swum for like six or seven years and it felt so good to actually dump in the pool. And like, you are alone in your own thoughts, but it is such an amazing fitness and like the level that it brought me to before I started what, what was going to be my season. I was like, I am just in such a good stead to start this season now because I've been doing all that other training and I've been able to like keep myself mentally strong because I haven't been doing the stuff that I now have to knuckle down and do that I've been doing for years now. So it's, it's quite an amazing sport. The problem with my swimming, man, I, I rub all the skin off my feet. So they just Why are you doing this, are you? And I'm not even doing that. They're just dragging on the bottom, buddy. I'm yeah. just all arms. I'm just an, I'm just an arms man. Just like, yeah. That's, so, uh, yeah, no. So leading into the Olympics, you were telling me an interesting story recently. I'd really like you to touch on it. You uh, you had a K2 partner. Something happened, and then you um, obviously made a positive out of a negative situation, and still were able to work your way into that spot. Um, I think that's something that's going to really resonate with a lot of people at the moment who are struggling, who are going through a lot of things mentally and losing jobs and doing all that sort of stuff. Um, I think that that will be really relatable. So would you be able to like show a bit of light on that? Yeah, sure. So, so 
in my mixed going around of paddling from 92 to 96, I was trying to find my way um, and realising that the Olympic champion's still there, that probably you've got to be a realist and go, right, I don't think I'm going to, I'm not showing any signs I'm going to get the K1 spot. And so I have to look at, um, on this on this team of ten, where where will I fit? So there was two single spots and there was eight team spots. So yeah. you know, it's probably the smartest thing I could do was 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 do a team boat. So uh, I, I tried my hand at team boats, and then then I was lucky enough. One of the bronze medalists and and uh, from the previous Olympics and one of the sports idols, Steve Wood, um, allowed me to learn my craft paddling with him. And yeah. um, we, we were we were going well and, and enjoying the season, um, and then unfortunately Steve um, took his life, which which was was a shame. Um, yeah. Such a tragedy for such a great guy. Um, yeah. Circumstances are out of our control, and uh, from from there it was just like I wasn't doing any other team boats. Yeah, um, just focusing on the K two at that stage. And, and, how, that and how far stage. out was that from the trials? That was a couple of months out, um, yeah. so it wasn't um, very very far out. So then, just just by chance, like the AIS at that stage were had a rock solid K four with some really big names like Danny Trimmy and Peter Scott so and Heath Brown. Oh, so Peter Scott was one of the guys who actually taught me how to paddle when I first started. But um, Trim Trim. Tr- Trim is that that's got that's got no relation to Mitchell Trim, your favourite snorer. Um, no, 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 not the not the not the world's greatest snorer. Uh, this is Andrew Green, who uh, yeah. went on to be a bronze medalist and uh, and silver medalist at Sydney, uh, yeah. and then and then Queensland, they had Martin Hunter, who was a world champion. Uh, yeah, and Yeah, Grant Lurie, who was a sensational team boat paddler, and Lats, who'd got Ian Rollings, who was at the force field paddle stealth um, ski stealth paddles. Um, he was a bronze medalist in the K4 from the last Olympics, and then the, and then Trevor Hendy, who you said, um, you know, tried his hand at kayaking. So they, yeah. those those eight guys had been racing all season against each other. Yeah. And just by chance, um, the selectors said in, in the the last regatta or one of the last regattas, do you want to try Roman Anderson, the bronze medalist at the last Olympics, didn't have any team boats, and yeah. Paul Lynch and and Brian Morton who started winning all the team boats yeah. uh, in K2, 500,000, do you want to jump in with, with me? And yeah. we had this K4 race and mate, luck on your side, who knows what it was. We ended up winning that race. Uh, yeah. whilst there, was a little bit of a, there was a little bit of a collision at the end, actually, at Westlakes uh, on the course there, come a bit close. And there was a bit of... Well, you were just coming in the lanes and you hit or you just uh, you finished and oh, you sort of came together? It seemed to who knows what happened, but uh, you know, just well, you know what happened. You were there. Tell us what happened. Well, it looked like a couple of people came on top of each other, and uh, at the end there, and whilst we will claim we got the victory, the victory yeah. was maybe not crossing the line first. It threw a lifeline to me. It threw yeah. a lifeline to Armin Anderson. Yeah. Um, you know, he lived in Perth. I lived in Sydney, and and Brian and um, Paul were in Sydney as well. So. Rahman packed up nearly instantly and moved yeah. to Sydney. We trained together, we raced together, and yeah. um, as a result, mate, we took it out at the Olympic selection. Incredible. And, uh, what, a, so, what a day that was. So it was yourself, Rahman, and who were the other two guys? 
So I sat in number one, see? Brian yep. Morton. Brian Morton. Uh, a guy probably fly under the radar, but just a tremendous waterman. Just some yep. people are just like yourself. You can do anything in the water. Yep. Uh, Paul Lynch was, was a guy who was just a tough, you wouldn't call him rough and ready, but you'd call him like knuckle down, do the work. And yep. Rahman was just a monster. He was yeah. such a big guy. Uh, yeah. And back then, back seat was a huge position in the boat that a big guy had to fill. And yeah. he just delivered in spades. So, yeah. and that was, and that, so then that started your Olympic journey. So you guys went through as the K4? Yeah, we went through. So at that Olympic selection, whoever won the race, it was a bit like swimming. So whoever yeah. won the race went to the Olympics. So, okay, so there was, uh, no, there was no second chance draw. There was no like no, two, three selections. It was just... yeah, whoever won. Um, the, the competition finished on Saturday, Saturday night. They yeah. announced the Olympic team. Uh, off we went. We had some wow, tremendous. Incredible. Yeah, it was like it just all played out. I was just so lucky. And then, so who was in the other four? So, um, so Danny Collins and um, Andrew Trim. Um, they ended up second, I think, or third. I don't even know where they come to. Oh, yeah, they got third. They yeah. ended up doing the K two five hundred. Yeah. That boat and yep. um, the Queensland boat. Grant Lurie ended up paddling with um, Paul uh, with Peter Scott. Yeah, uh, they had to go and qualify the spot from a bit technical, but you get you had to qualify from the World Championships the year before, and we didn't have a spot in the K two thousand. Yeah, and Brian Morton and Paul Lynch had decided after winning the event that they didn't want to do that. They wanted to have the secure spot of the K four because it had qualified for the Olympics. Yeah. So that allowed the second place getters in Peter Scott and Grant Lurie to be able to get the spot if they qualified it in Europe in Spain. And yeah. they did a great job and got it. So, so they filled it a full So just to, to, to go back a little bit. So who ended up being on the Olympic team? So you obviously had the four that you just mentioned. Then the, yeah. the two that you just mentioned. Then obviously Clint was in the single. Yeah, Clint was in the single and, and Cameron McFadgen was a guy who did the K1 500. So you had the two single paddlers were Clint and Cameron McFadgen. Yep. And then the K2 was Danny Collins and Andrew Trim, which they'd been very, very good over 500. They, they did the 500 at the Olympics before. Did they end so up meddling at that, in the, at that Olympics? Yeah, they got a bronze. Yep. And yeah, I've seen the photo. They, they look massive. I think it's oh, like yeah. the, um, the QAS oh. or the AAS, what it was. Yeah, he's a big boy, the old dad. Yeah, that's yeah, that's for sure. So, so you do the Olympics, um, you, you, you reach your goal, um, you get into, um, I guess, where you wanted to be. Oh, How was the uh, Olympics for you? Oh, it was like, it's, it's, it's quite a funny, actually. I was very lucky to actually go back in 2008 as a commentator to actually see what it's like. If you go to the Olympics and you've trained all your life, you don't really experience what public perception is, if you know what I mean. We're in sort of, call it lockdown, not corona yeah. lockdown, but you're just solely focusing on, you know, I've trained all my life for this. You want to make yeah. sure you get uh, the best you can be. So it was, we didn't stay in the village. Worse luck for life experiences, but better for, for, for racing, racing experiences. experiences. Sure. Yeah. We're an hour and a half out from the, from the Olympic village. Yeah, no and yeah, the Atlanta Olympics was considered one where they didn't know how to do de- They thought it was going to be super hot the whole time. Um, they, you know, developed ice fests and all this thing of how to deal with the heat and the humidity. And so from that, we went there five and a half weeks early and we yeah. didn't want to 
go from the village, drive out an hour and a half there, hour and a half back. So we, we stayed out there like 10 minutes from the course. Yeah. So we went to the opening ceremony and stuff, but we didn't experience village life as, you, yeah. as you'd expect. So, yeah, so but when was your event? Was I know Olympics only goes like three weeks, I think it is. Were you at the no, front? Of the Sixteen days, so we're on the back end. Okay, so yeah, you so can't really get involved week. in the in the, no. the village sort of lifestyle sort of stuff. No, so if you wanted to experience it, I guess the probably being like day four to day eight would be ideal. The best. Yeah, yeah, you get to do a little bit at the start, race, and then enjoy the rest of it, but. So I guess, well, before we talk about your race when you were at the Olympics, um, so when you were at the Olympics, like, what did it mean to you? Like, why did like, you've spent like four years to do it? You've, you've qualified, you've got there, you're going to put your best performance in. Like, how did that mean for you? And then like, what, why, like, what, what did like, did it, did it feel like you had made a super accomplishment in your life? Well, I think that the Olympics, if, if you're in Olympic sport, it's sort of like, it's a tick that you made it. Sounds yeah. silly, like you know, like it's 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 a thing that says, righto, I chose to do something, mm-hmm. and through all the good things of walking out in the opening ceremony and, and the closing ceremony, there's heartache behind it. Yeah, and and most athletes. Sorry, Jim, we've just lost you. Um... Yeah, if you could just, if you sorry, I've just lost you. Could you just like, repeat the past fifteen seconds? Sorry, mate. So yeah, so I think it's a sense of achievement that you've worked hard, all the sacrifices, the ups and the downs. Yeah. That you, that you've gone. You know what? I'm going to push through that, and it's the sacrifice, the small sacrifices that you make. Like there were a lot of times um, throughout that that journey of five years to make it, where you have to you know, not go to the movies with your friends or not yeah. go to a party or it sounds silly. Oh, you know, you, you went to the Olympics, but you do it over four years. Or I still remember, um, not, you know, 1995, July 3rd, and I'm in Belgium and it's minus 15 wind chill factor. And I've got to go out in my K4 and get soaked and cold. And, you know, is yeah. it worth it? Why should we do it? we sure we can miss one. No, you can't. Yeah. You've got to keep working and you're in foreign countries where there was no internet. There was, you know, I, I wasn't well educated, so I didn't have the ability. Well, I did have the ability, but I was a little bit off that to learn the language. So you'd yeah. be away for six weeks, just, yeah. you know, sacrificing everything. So when I got there and I, and I got to the start line, I could just see, especially in the final from one end to the other, you could see all that hard work in there. And it was just, fulfilling to say I personally yeah had a goal and I stuck at it yeah you had it was rewarding to me well I didn't do it for anybody else yeah Uh, it was rewarding for me and and you talk about and you talk about that sacrifice you made like I know you don't drink I know you don't like have coffee I know there's like all these other things that you do that you've sort of had from your sort of Olympic days and you followed that through all the way um do you think that sort of like mentality you've created by um, actually paddling and um, achieving that Olympic dream. Do you think that sort of mentality has been ingrained in you, like that sort of sacrifice and determination and consistency? Like, do, do you do that, like do that in your day-to-day life now? I think so. Um, yeah. Comes at, and I, right, you just, um, there are so many good qualities from it that I've been taught, but there are also so many bad qualities that you're always so competitive. Yeah. You know, you, 
you're trying always to continually better yourself and angles and you know pushing yourself to to be better and better and better and I think that the one thing of doing sport at a high level and then coming back to is you've got to find it's very very difficult for athletes who have who have achieved a high goal to to enjoy success in different ways and enjoy the process of doing a race like it's not the be all and end all like going to the olympics whilst we can say now as a 48 year old oh well you know it's not the be all and end all but then it was yeah absolutely it is is. and now finding that balance to say right i'm going to go and do the perth doctor and if i can come in the top 30 to 35 i've won yeah and that that's how, so that transition from that moment, trying to be the best like, guy on the field to trying to be the best you can be in a field of, I guess, the next generation who are the new superstars. Yeah, 100%. And, and I wasn't actually ever the best, yeah. but I trained to be the best. Like yeah. I would train as hard as I could to it, that I possibly could be that person. More yeah. often than not, I wasn't, but I yeah, trained you, hard enough that I could. Now, you trained to be the best. Hundred percent. So, but now, no matter how much training I do, I can't be. People view first place as the best. I can't be that. Yeah. But I, I now had to train myself to accept that maybe thirty fifth is first, if that makes sense, and and enjoy that for what it is. Yeah, and I think you do that really well. And I think that's something I admire about you. I think that you you go out there, you have a good time, you're quite a personality, but you always do your best, like, and then you're happy whenever you finish and cross the finish line. Like, I try and do it myself now that I'm still doing well in my sport, but I obviously know that I'm going to be at your point at some stage, hopefully later rather than sooner. But it's gonna it's gonna happen to all of us, and I think that's something that's really mentally strengthened. I think with the Olympics being postponed um, right now, I, I think I just saw the IOC came out and I'm actually ratified that it's going to be before next summer, 2021. You've got to have a lot of athletes who are really struggling um, with that like four-year mindset. Then, like they may have to redo selections. They've got another year that we've got to prepare for. Like their whole life has been focused on this, and then something like their COVID nineteen comes through and knocks their whole dreams apart. Like, how do you suggest that those athletes get through that? Well, it's quite funny. I spoke to one of these guys who was just selected in the Australian kayak team, yeah. uh, Lockie Tame, yeah, uh, bronze medalist from Rio. Yeah, he. He said six months ago, that's it, full stop, no more work. I'm going to try yeah. and make the Olympics. So he's put his life on hold. He's, he's now creeping up a little bit older in life. Yeah. He's saying, he's saying now after being selected, he doesn't think that he will pursue another year. Like he's not going to have another year off work and keep going. Whereas yeah. a person who like Jackson Collins, who yeah. is a young guy coming through, who missed selection, um, maybe that extra year becomes his benefit, right? Yeah. So whereas Lockie, Lockie Tame, who's a bit older and wants to move on and may have to say, do you know what? I went to one Olympics. I got one bronze medal. I may now put my life to go forward, meaning get yeah. a job full time and work full time. That may be his loss, but maybe on the flip side, it's a Jackson Collins gain. It'll come yeah. down to... It'll come down. Some sports like swimming didn't select, right? They didn't get to have their championships. So they'll have to do the mental psyche as if like Worlds was last year, track and field, these sort of things. Like, right, they finished that season. 
let's prepare for another season. Yeah. I, I think it'd be really hard if you were selected in the Olympic team, Yeah, which some of them in kayaking, they have been. The Australian team has actually selected their Olympic team. Yeah, I was following then, along. Yeah, it must be so hard. And then magic going into another trials, if you were the back person, yeah. like some of, I think the last few positions in our girls and the last few positions in our guys were not clear cut. They weren't miles in front. Yeah. So someone actually could have made this time and then in less than six to eight months, they redo it again and you don't make it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite an incredible situation. I think the whole thing is really throwing out most people's lives and this is just another sort of casualty of the whole situation. But I think, yeah, ment- like mentally people are going to have to be really strong in, through this situation because I know a lot of those guys sacrifice a hell of a lot. Like that was something that I really struggled with, with that whole system when I was sort of, sort of in it, but I wasn't really, you know, I was still doing other things. And those guys had fully sacrificed, like the guys who won the K4 back in uh, London, I think it was, and they come back from the Olympics and they're back in for plumbing or whatever it is the next day. Like they've sacrificed their whole like, livelihoods to be an Olympian and then they, they win and then they still have to come back and they're straight back into work like normal life. Like I think a lot of people, a lot of people think that they are, that these are, these are professional athletes and they're, they're making lots of money. But at the end of the day, they're amateurs and they're, they're doing it for the love and the passion and they're only just getting by to achieve their passion and their dream. Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, mate, we were doing it that tough at one stage that uh, a couple of guys I was living with to, to survive, we were breaking the stems off the mushrooms to save ourselves money at the shopping centre. So oh, my God. Like, they, that was just a psychic. Like, we were thinking, oh, we can save some money here. We're not going to eat the stem of the mushroom. Let's break them off and just get the, you know, like, what did it say? It's like 10 Yeah, how much it weighs. Money. Yeah, how much it yeah, weighs. Yeah, you yeah. Think, I can half the weight if you cut it in half. Half oh, the weight, and they were about ten cents a kilo, and we were breaking off the, <laughs> yeah. the stems. They're the lengths you sometimes have to go to, right? To, yeah. um, to 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 make it, and and just have like a few dollars in your pocket just just for food on the table, not yeah. for going out and buying stuff. This was for just food on the table. Yeah. So yeah, you, and it's, you, you can't it's, whinge about being a sports person. Right? That's that's one thing that really gripes me of sports people who whinge about. Oh, you know, I should be getting this, or I should be getting. I shouldn't get anything. I've never yeah. thought like that. But um, at the end of the day, when you stand there, you stand there for you, and you're proud to stand there under your country's banner. And, yeah. Uh, but you do go through. That's what makes it a big. Like you're talking about it cancelled. Some will make it. Some won't. Yeah. What makes sport special is those are at the top, like yourself, um, at the very top, have had to do things others wouldn't do, and yeah. that's the difference. Yeah, and there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into those Olympic um, campaigns. So all those guys out there who have was elected and um, now got to basically go through it again. Like I think they've really got to like form that community called guys like Jim and actually really talk about this sort of stuff and try and get through it because obviously it's it's a very hard mental space to be in. Um, I think mentally as well, like when you were talking about lining up at the Olympics just before and there's, there's nine lanes, there's uh, uh, 56 guys and you're all, sorry, no, there's more than that, is it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Nine times four. Yeah, geez. I really struggled there. I was going well with my train of thoughts. Yeah. Anyway, so you're lining up against all these guys who basically have committed their lives to, to win this race. Like they, Some guys have a better chance than others just purely because they, they've got a stronger team, a stronger boat. But how do you deal with that pressure? Because you know that four years of your life has gone into one race. How do you, how do you mentally deal with that? 
<laughs> yeah, when you put it like that, yeah, it's so funny, hey, that you're all, all you're doing, everything you're doing is to, to be, uh, you know, we were hoping for three minutes just under. Look, it was, it was you've done enough of the race and because it's dead flat, you're not judged by anyone. It's not like, you know, it's not a scored sport. It's who can go the fastest. Yeah. We had raced super well all year. We were in the box seat to be in a medal position. Um, 200 metres to go of a 1,000 metre race where we're in third to second position. The strongest part of our race has been our last 150 all year. Yeah. It didn't go, it didn't go to plan. And, um, you know, we, we stumbled across the line. The most important thing that I, that I learned from it is when, when we'd finished was that I personally couldn't have given it any more. And yeah. the, the hiding spot in anything in life is your pillow. Like I could tell you, I can tell you here we tried our best and that's all we were good enough for and everyone else has beaten or they're either drug cheats or they're faster or anything. I can tell you they're all that and that's all good and that could like make it feel better. But at the end of the day, I actually personally, in my contribution to the boat yeah. and the other guys that were with me, we could not have done any more. Now, yeah. start at one end and finish at the other and someone gets there before you, there can be only yeah. one thing. They're better than you. <laughs> On yeah. that day which makes the Olympics special is you get one time. Like that was 10 o'clock in the morning, um, sometime in, in August, I can't remember the date, that I had to be at the best I could be. And I was at the best I could be, but on that particular time, there was eight crews better. So I, I, I hold my head proudly knowing yeah. I couldn't do couldn't anything anymore. And I think that's yeah. something that most people should look at, like, like this sort of conversation and like looking at the Olympics, like, it is, it is something that we can do every day as well. Like you did everything you could every single day of your life and you were consistent and persistent with what you were doing to lead into that Olympics. And maybe you weren't the best. Like you were, I don't know, what did you, what did you guys finish? You finished ninth. Ninth. So you finished last in the final. And, but yeah. you guys got to the final at the Olympics and you did as well as you possibly could have. And you've got to hold your head high and you've made the best out of a situation. When you look back, before the Olympic trials, you didn't even have a spot. And then all of a sudden you, you were in the Olympics and you made the Olympic final. Like, the greatness is uh, determined by your perspective. Like your greatness may not be um, determined by the community of societies by like number one, but if your if your greatness is by making that Olympic final and you're and you know you couldn't have done any more, then that's all the um, accolades and and respect that you can get. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, and I still to this day like I'm proud of it. Yeah, and I'm a, I'm proud of the way that I went about it. And yeah the hard work that went with it and you know like if someone's better well what are you going to do like i can't couldn't pick up the k4 and smash it and carry on and say we were better than that and you know our time would have done in any other olympics would have won a medal and carry all that they're not going to come up and tap me on the shoulder and go look hey jimmy look you seem to be a little bit more upset than everyone else here's a medal yeah, yeah. it's just like that's that's yeah. it you've got to be content and, with what you do yeah and if i wanted to i could have tried again and tried to change it and uh, yeah. have another go but um i chose not to it's such an incredible spectacle, the Olympics. Like, you just look at so many, like, not all the sports, obviously, like a lot of the higher profile sports obviously have their own um, professional series and that sort of stuff. But when you have a, a sort of a more, um, I don't know, smaller sport, like, say, sprint kayaking, that is the focus. And that is everybody's focus who is in that sport for that four-year period. Like, it's just incredible that you actually made it and you were competing in it. I just think the mental and physical strength that you'd have to build through that is quite incredible. So congratulations for that. I think that's, that's awesome. Thanks buddy. Yeah. So I, I guess next that's you can speak great. about like how, how was your transition from sort of 
being at the top, uh, well, not the best, but being at the top of your game and yep. your physical game to moving down into sort of maybe doing more surf ski stuff, doing more ocean skis. Like, how did that transition sort of occur? It was pretty hard first because I um, I built up a bit of, once I'd sort of finished doing it properly, I actually built up a bit of a resentment, right? Because there were some people my age who were starting to do well in my age group who weren't yeah. good when I was in my youth and I actually built up resentment for them. Thought, you know, oh, you want to go, why didn't you do it when we were kids? And, and that, that was, that was tough to go. I'm not going to let that bloke beat me. I could beat him when I was a kid. And yeah. And then, then I just watched and, and watched and watched. I didn't race it, watch it and saw how happy they were. Yeah. Like they're having such a good time. And I thought, why am I being so miserable? Yeah. To like, to not participating in what I love. Like I love paddling. That's one yeah. thing that I love. I could talk paddling all day long to you. You, you could nap off and I'll be still talking paddling. And uh, that's why I got I, you on, mate. I know you can talk. I didn't, uh, <laughs> I, I got back into it. I got yeah. back into it. And I love it. And um, yeah, and I'm now you know, doing lots of coaching. I'm still competitive, right? So yeah. you, know, you and I want to run and sprint up the hill. I'll try and, muscle you out of the way and do it no. yeah 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 i'm gonna go with the dance that goes along with it and i think that's something yeah. special about the sport that we do especially in ocean ski paddling it's like such a community um based event like everyone's there for the right reasons everyone wants to go hard wants to go well like mine up and want to beat your mate or whatever it is but when you finish you're all having a beer afterwards and that's the sort of the great thing that i, I find that's always been good for me with ocean ski paddling it's something that really drew me to it and i think it draws a lot of other people to it and i think for you, I think it would have been good coming off that sort of Olympic sort of stage and then moving into a sport like this and obviously having the surf life saving as well. It would have been good mentally because you still got that camaraderie and that group mentality and you're all sort of still striving to achieve goals. Maybe not as high as they were, but you're still trying to do the same thing, but at a lesser degree. Oh, yeah. And the ocean paddling still lets me race within a race. And I've got a couple of guys my age who, you know, we're trying to have a lottery ticket or something, you know, like, so you and Corey and that might be gone 10 minutes in front, but like, I'm just like, where are they? Where are they? Where are they? Like, yeah. uh, years ago, I um, was racing a bloke called Tommy Woodruff and uh, he's been awesome in his day and still is, yeah. right? But he used to wear this orange hat and I was just, just in the end, I just said to him, mate, you can't race with that orange hat anymore. I'm just, <laughs> just like, I could just see it there and I'm yeah, just, just kept moving away. My body's in agony to catch the orange hat. Like I'm, there's yeah. 400 people in the doctor, and I'm racing an orange hat. So yeah. I change hat, and uh, you know. So there's things like that. that it is uh, funny. You know, it is, it like, is funny you say that. When um, I remember Sean Rice said that to me one time. He used to always wear like a dark um, life jacket so no one could see him in the water. But now everyone has to wear fluoro, so it's, I guess it's no different anymore. But back back then, it was like it just the fluoro just stood out so much. Oh, it just kills you. And, you know, Matt Reese, who's paddling like dynamite at the moment. And, you know, yeah. so, you know, there's three or four guys. It doesn't matter that there's 300 in there. You know, I set myself a goal before it. I'd love to come in this position overall. Yeah. But all I'm facing is, you know, four, Those maybe five guys who yeah. I was, but unfortunately, I've been racing them since I was kids. Yeah. You know, like we've been racing for so long and now we do something we all can do together. Um, you know, as parents, as workers, as lovers of paddling, it's yeah. still awesome. Yeah, and you're, still, and you're just sort of like, and it's like, it becomes like a thing where you're going and catching up with your friends and you're sort of seeing people from all over the place and like you, you otherwise wouldn't have seen. I think it was when I was a kid, I used to go to like 
New South Wales State Surf Lifesaving or to Aussies and you'd be going there just to, and you'd be so pumped because you get to see your friends from like Sydney and Gold Coast and like all over the country and you'd all get to hang out for like a full week on the beach or you'd be racing, you want to beat each other and stuff, but you knew that you're going to have a good time together. And I think that's something that's, um, that you're probably finding now from ocean ski paddling. Oh, I love it. I love going and, uh, and you know, we had that magic trip to Hawaii. could have stayed there forever. Yeah. And then, at the, then on one of the days we had to paddle from Molokai to Oahu and, you know, then the, yeah. the, 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 you know, the whole week of the, the race week now, instead of the doctor just like turning up Thursday, uh, traditionally yeah. we just turn up Thursday, race Thursday night, race Saturday. This year we did the full week and, and you know, all being well with, with what's going on in the world, it should, should be right to go again. But how much fun is all that? Like, yeah, I think it's really incredible. I think it, that the vibe and the excitement around Perth, because I obviously live here now and it's so cool that when all my friends want to come to Perth and I get to hang out with everybody for a week. So I'm like going to coffee shops and going to like get lunches with people and then going paddling with them in the afternoons or whatever it might be. So it's, yeah, it's a really exciting time for me as well. I remember like two years ago, I had that decision. I had to make whether I go to China and do the world championships for the suffer or I stay here and I was sort of getting pulled every direction and ended up I go flying over there, flying back. Cause I just love it so much. Like I was like, I'd rather be in Perth. Like have like I don't know a few hours sleep, put my boat in the barge, and race the dock for the next day, then stay in China and sort of get frustrated because events are being changed on me. Yeah, because and everyone's having such a good time there. But uh, yeah. the vibe, the vibe created from from Dean, and then the the input of the professionalism from Shore and Partners to sort of make it race ready and well organised. The two of them combining together has really made that week. A special week and yeah. um, I, I, I can't publicize that enough that yeah. if you can't get a week off work yeah um, I know for that time of year but so much fun if you love paddling yeah it's fantastic and the wind's sort of really good at that time of year it's like right now we're in um april and it's just like the winds just died off big time and it's just not as uh not as strong but there's beautiful days here now so it just it's one of those caps 22 situations but um, so going into ocean ski paddling, like what's been your favorite event, except for the shore race week and all these other events that you're doing now, like, have you been to any of the races? Like obviously Molokai last year, you had a fantastic performance. Like I think you nearly beat me. I don't think you're very far behind me. Um, how was that for you? Like, how was like, obviously you're still very competitive. You would have trained very hard for that event. How was that experience? Molokai was, um, was something different. It's not, not something, cause I've always been a sprinter. It was not something ever on my to-do list. I always knew it was there, um, but it was not something, being a person who, who raced over one kilometre but was better over 500 metres, wanted to think about doing 53 kilometres, that's for sure. But um, I, I was talking to Clint Robinson one day and he said, look, mate, with all the paddling that you've done and all the types of paddling, you just want to one day say you've done it. Yeah. Like forget, about, forget about where you've come or what place you come. Um, just just say you've done it. That's all. That's all you want to do. So so I had the opportunity with Shore and Partners to do it. Um, yeah. So I, I actually did a little bit different to what most people have done. So I had five weeks to prepare for it. Yeah. And I didn't do any long paddling. I did one 23-kilometre paddle before yeah. it. And I did just a couple of short ones back-to-back. So I do some morning and arvos. I trained really, really hard. Yeah. But I was just... I didn't want to know what that was like to paddle for what I thought was going to be four hours. I was just like, so, uh, so I trained lots of 12 K back to back. So in the morning I might, I was doing 12 in the morning, 
12 to 14 in the Arvo and I'd do three sessions, one, two, three. Yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd get it to like 40 out of three and then I'd have two days, two, like a, an afternoon and a morning off and go back in the afternoon. Yeah. And then I'd, try, then I'd try and do like a big massive 18K paddle on Saturday. Massive 18K paddle. Yeah. And then I did the 123K downwind. Yeah. Um, with, with Todd Borland who'd done it the year before and got top 10 and we had a bit of a battle. And then when I, when I got over there, I just was with you guys and just yep. watched what you guys did more and more. And we did, I think we did a couple of 10 or 12K big long ones and one 15K. So yep. I was just the whole time I was learning. I wanted to get better in the runs and then just chatted to learn about the race. And people yep. said to me, look, being how you normally race, you'll try and win the first 5K. You won't yep. make it. Yep. Just make sure that you're right there with an hour to go. With an hour to go, if you can still paddle for one more hour, you'll be fine. Yeah. So, oh yeah, yeah. I prepared and I went and at 32K, I thought, geez, I feel all right. And I went yeah. for a gel. I thought, you know, I'm feeling good. I'm just going to go and gel. And as I pulled my gel off my seat, I fell in. And, oh. um, I was in the I've been there. I've been there. I fell in like three times one year. It's not much fun. No, and I lost my drink bottle, lost my gels and yeah. everything. And then um, I got to... Um, 45k and i think i was like i was maybe around 240 and i before i went i wanted to go under four hours that was my goal yeah i was like if i went under four hours i'd be really really happy if i went 345 how good would that be that yeah. was and the field that was there i didn't give myself a place because it was the first time actually that i went and did a race where i wasn't racing anyone i made sure like I had yeah. Todd Ball, who was top 10, keep ringing me and say, let's paddle together, let's paddle together. And I didn't want to because I have a battle with him. I didn't want to battle with anyone. I just wanted to paddle yeah. it. Yeah. And I got really, really close. And then my driver called out to me and said, there's a bloke up in front of you. Um, catch him. He's another spot. And I sprinted after him just to Port Lock. And when I got up there, it was Charles Brand from Epic, who'd gone off about an hour and a half in front. Oh, okay, so I yeah. Up, I, I was stuffed and then I got a couple of waves and, you know, I went under 3.30 and yeah. uh, ended up 12th and just couldn't have been happier. And I could have, yeah. I could have, I could have paddled further if it was further, but when I got to 53K, I couldn't, yeah. once I got there, yeah. I couldn't have done another stroke. And I, I loved every minute of that whole week, whether it be the whole banter and the chat and the, everything yeah. we did leading into it. And I love the race. Yeah. But would I want to do it again? I'm not sure because yeah. Yeah. I don't want it to be worse. You know, like it was so good and I don't know whether I'd enjoy doing it worse. But Yeah. Well, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's okay to have it off this year. So I'm not sure it's going to run. So maybe next year we'll be back. We'll see what happens there. But yeah. yeah so so I've, you, done that. I've done Portugal. Um, Nilo, I've done oh, that. yeah. The, um, the world champs there that year. I did the world, first Captain. world champ. Yeah, yeah, wearing so the Australian tracksuit. I remember you in the Australian tracksuit everywhere, loving it. Yeah, yeah, yeah loving yeah. it. And then I went to Hong Kong. Yep. And then I went back to France. And then yep. I've done Malaga. So that's my overseas racing. Yeah, um, actually, I remember I used your paddle in France this year because my paddle's didn't arrive. You did. Yeah, yep. yep. lucky. Yeah. Lucky I had to take your tape off. I'm sure that would have killed you. It did everything that you did to that. I brought a kid or a glass on. You would have never uh, used it again. I was like, no, what has he done to this puddle? Like yeah. he didn't put wax on it. If you put wax on it, I would have burnt it. 
<laughs> but uh, I like collecting my paddles. Yeah. So I can say, I can say that that boot. I keep that one now, and I say, Thank okay, you. yeah, put it on your mantelpiece, mate. It's back up on the wall. Yeah. It is. Um, so I guess with um, with surf ski at the moment, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, obviously, globally, um, there's like the the World Surf Ski Series or Surf Ski League. Um, you've got the Australian Ocean Racing Series. You've got the ICF event. You've got um, all these things going on. Like, what are you? What are your thoughts on the positioning of the sport at the moment? Like, is it going to keep growing? Is it going to keep moving forward? Obviously, there's a obviously a big event that we can't really talk about. I like, can't really control. But after that, like, how do you think the sport's going to be positioned? I think the sport is is going well as long as no danger happens. Like if, if people go out in conditions they can't handle and something happens to somebody, I think it will have a real impact on anything. So I yeah. want to send a message out to people who, who run groups to be smart and sensible. So yeah. if you're a if you're a group that can only handle being in a bay, a harbour or a lake, um, slowly progress to, yeah. to an ocean, slowly. Um, and if you're a, a lake slash ocean group, don't then think you're a full big wave surfer and, and get out there because it's very, very enjoyable if you like ocean paddling. It's one of the greatest parts of paddling and I've done, done it all. Um, yeah. But if you have a bad experience, you won't come back. It's as simple yeah. as that. You won't come back. And there have been some people I've given many lessons to and then I wonder where they are. Has anyone heard of them? And they say, oh, yeah, they went for a downwind paddle and they yeah. lost their They didn't have the right safety gear. They couldn't get yeah. back in and they never come back. But So that's something that's really that, important, the safety gear and like taking your PFD, taking your mobile phone, always having a leash to your ski. Well, on, on my, if you, my setup, if I go for an ocean ski paddle, a, a downwind, I've got a flare. I run Safe Tracks, the app. I've got my phone. Um, I've got uh, the whistle and I've got, my PFD and I have a yeah. leash. So, yeah. you know, I was, I look, I've grown up in the era of like, you know, you're a tough guy or a weak guy. Yeah, know? totally. Like, and, and now I'm the, like I'd say I'm, I'm tougher now because I wear that, you know, yeah. like it's well, so important to wear that. Yeah, and I, I've gone to the next level. So when I like, if I ever go out with Rottenness Express and do the the paddle back, I actually have an EPIRB and uh, a VHF radio because I, I mean, and even when me and Ricey last year training for Molokai, we did a 50k paddle from Rockingham around Garden Island into Sorrento, and we came in at dark, like it was so dark. But I had like I had the flare, I had the the radio, I had the the EPIRB, and guys were like, "Oh, what? You actually serious? You've got that stuff?" And I was like, "Yeah, what do you mean? Like I'm going out there by myself. Like if I get lost, it's a big ocean." Exactly. I was like, so, if, my, if, my, if my cable snaps, I'm 10K out to sea. It's like, it's really hard to paddle a ski in. Yeah, so 100%. So, look, I've done it when I was a kid, and there's no, yeah. no awards for it, right? There's no, they don't make a plaque out of you, they make you a hero. So, yeah. it's really important to, to do your level. So, if it's safe for your level, get out and experience it. There's no doubt about it. Stay within a group. You don't have to go in a 20k downwind you don't have to go from a to b in 20k without stopping you actually yeah. can do we sometimes do right there's we've got where we go on one run it's 11k um if we've got people who are inexperienced we stop three times once everyone comes there you go again right so we still yeah. have a good time doing it but there's so many safety apps um yeah and so it's a really good low impact sport ocean paddling right it's, yeah it's, if you do it right get the technique right um, you can enjoy it. And I think it's growing and growing and growing. So I don't think it can stop. I'd like to see us maybe work together a little bit more. I think that the, the, the ICF, your ocean paddling, your world leagues, 
they're all fantastic, but it'd be yeah. good if we could somehow bring them all together um, yeah. and, and be unified in like one spot is the world championship that everyone agrees on. Um, yeah. It is in spots that yeah, everyone's in. Yeah, like the doctor is like a really iconic race, but yeah. whilst it's still called the doctor and something yeah. else is called the world championship, if you go and say, like if you're in the sport itself, you want to win the doctor, right? Yeah, of course. But if you could go to a barbecue and say to someone, I won the doctor or I'm world champion, yeah. well, every day of the week you're going to pick world champion, right? Yeah. But within a group of paddlers, people would think, oh, winning Molokai or the doctor, geez, that's you're pretty on the money, but if you can tell someone you're world champion, so I'd like us maybe. It's exactly the same. Yeah. In in all sports like this, it's like even in stand up paddleboarding, I think there's bigger events that I've won um, that don't have that world championship title um, for me personally. But I think if you are talking to like the general population, you're talking to potential sponsors, you're talking to the corporate world or just anybody, they understand a world championship. They understand an Australian title, but they don't necessarily understand a, a doctor or a dragon run or a, a Durban cup or whatever it is. Like they, they're not, they just not, they don't really understand that. No. So the world championships would be good if we could just find a spot that we say that's the world championships. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of um, stuff going on behind the scenes. Like I think there's a lot of like, I guess egos involved. Like some people don't want to push certain agendas. Some people are trying to come over the top. Like some, it's just, it's very, hard situation i think the sport's done well for what it is but i think it's like any sport like i know in stand-up paddleboarding at the moment as well there's a lot of issues with uh, federations and individual events and like no there's no real pathway and i think by uniting a sport like stand-up or like ocean paddling you actually create a pathway and you see like like they've done they've done really well in ocean ski paddling because you're seeing those juniors starting to do more races you're seeing um like more people getting involved like you got that investec young guns team you've got the shoreham partners race team you've got um, uh, different sponsors coming in supporting the sport. And that, so it does show that the, the sport is becoming more professional, but there's always more that we can do. Yeah, like by having that pathways of an Australian team, there's like so many advantages, whether it be, you know, you get to wear the green and gold, right? So yeah. you, get, you get to say, I've represented my country, people like that. Um, if it's sports commission related in Australia, there's there's ATAR points for young kids to help towards their uni or yeah. school marks, and there's a chance of becoming the world champion. Now, um, you know, pretty much when we went to Hong Kong, um, the young kids of gym squad were the only young kids there, and yeah. knock on from that was that people went, oh, they made it, I can be better than them, which is great. And yeah. now when when we go to France. We fielded as large a team as we ever could in our junior ranks. And, yeah. you know, as you say, Think Future have come through, um, Fen Invest, Vestac, Young Guns, and, and the race. All this has got things as people are aspiring to stuff. And that's what yeah. you need. We need yeah. the sport to get young kids. Yeah. And when they do, when get young kids, we're going a long way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a really, I think the sport's in a really good position. I think I spoke to this, um, about with the Dean and with Oscar, like recently, like it, it's come a long way from when I first started, when it was like Corey and I and Maka, I guess were like the youngest people and we were like 23, 25 and now you've got like 16 year olds entering races and doing really well. So I think the sport's got a lot of, uh, a lot of good things coming in its future. Yeah. I think, and you know, and full credit to Dean for all the work that he's done over a long yeah. period of time. 
know. I don't know whether he thought it would ever get this big or this successful, but yeah, uh, he, he's done a great job. Yeah, it's quite incredible, like what he's done, like especially with like creating like the ocean paddler, then creating the events around that, and like um, he's he's just he's sort of building the sport. He's obviously being able to being able to sell um, skis off that, but I think all the other brands have been able to come into the market because of this demand. Like I think there's something that's struggling in stand up paddleboarding in Australia at the moment. There isn't those events for people to want to buy craft to get better to to race that. So that's something that Dean's been able to hold. And I think that's the, that's the real difference between stand-up and ocean ski in Australia. Then you've got someone like Oscar as well, who's been instrumental in sort of growing the sport around the place. Uh, he's been doing clinics and coaching for 20 years or something like that, going all over the place, doing some free, some pay, but he's such a character. And these two guys have really um, held the, held the torch for the sport for a long time. Oh yeah. There's no doubt about it. Look, Oscar, like yeah. character. You know, and um, yeah. everyone's talking about him, and everyone's talking about him. They're talking about him about something, and yeah. um, they talk about him in ocean paddling. So, you know, he, Dean, and, and let's hope there'll be some people after them who can carry the legacy as well. Yeah, yeah, I really hope that is the case. But um, just want to say, real big thanks for you for coming on today. I think it was a fantastic chat going through the Olympics, the psyche, the mentality, and obviously talking about ocean ski paddling and all those things to come. So, really appreciate you coming on, Jim. On your buddy, had a great time. Thanks, thanks everyone for watching. Um, well, there's more to come, um, and just watch it off on Facebook Live, YouTube, podcast. We're going to, it's all going to be posted all through the all out all those channels, and um, we'll see you next time. Cheers.